Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today we continue on in our series called Eternal Rewards. We are studying the five crowns that Scripture identifies. We are talking about how each of these crowns represent an aspect that we will enjoy forever as believers. Well, today we come to what's called the soul winner's crown, often called the crown of rejoicing. And I am going to show in the scriptures today how the crown of rejoicing represents those people who we have led to the Lord, those that we have invested in their lives, we have discipled and brought them to spiritual maturity. I'm so glad that you're listening to this series. If you've missed any piece of the eternal rewards, go back on my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, and study this entire series with us. Well, today we come to the crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown found in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 on today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. crown of rejoicing. This is often called the soul winner's crown. Now remember, the crowns identified in the scriptures is really to give us an aspect of eternity. So whether that's eternal life or whether that's eternal glory, whether that's eternal righteousness, whether that's eternal victory, as we see today, this is eternal rejoicing. And what is this great crown of rejoicing called the soul winner's crown? Well, look at it with me. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19. I want you to hear the tenderness in the Apostle Paul. I want you to hear his nurturing spirit. I want you to hear his heart as he writes to this congregation that in many ways I think were just like us. Everyday people working their jobs raising their children, some getting married, some in retirement years, a collection of widows and and, and families and uh, singles and uh, just uh, uh, those young and middle-aged and old, just a collection of God's people. And I want you to see what Paul says to them. Imagine Paul was writing it to us, to this body as he did the Philippian or, or the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. Verse number 19, he says, For what is our hope? That means confidence and expectation. Paul saying, what is my confident expectation? Anytime you see hope in the New Testament, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It doesn't mean make a wish. It means a confidence Hope is translated confident expectation. So Paul says, what is my confidence? He says, what is my joy? What is my crown of boasting? The old King James says, what is my crown of rejoicing? What is my crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? That's going to be next week. All of these are at the coming of Jesus. Is it not you? 
We've talked a great deal about these imperishable wreaths. We've talked about the Isthmus Games, and Paul is referring to the victor's crown, what would be today our equivalent to a gold medal in the Olympics. He is referring to the Isthmus Games. He's talking about uh, the, 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 the evergreen wreath that they would put up on them. But Paul says, our wreath is incorruptible. It's never going to fade. It's never going to go away. I was thinking about this week, three of the crowns are written by Paul. One of the, the crown of life is written by James. The crown of glory that's unfading is written by Peter. And they all make sense and they're all in line. And yet there are three different authors. How can that be? Because friends, the Bible has one primary author and it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it's all breathed out. It's all inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And so it all fits and it all aligns and it all makes perfect sense. So this wreath, this crown that's already been identified, Paul puts a different twist on it right here. And I love it. You can reference Philippians 4.1 because he said the same thing to the church at Philippi. He said the same thing to the Philippian congregation. And he says, you are my crown. Oh, I love this. Do you know what I think Paul is conveying? I think that Paul is saying, yes, Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, we will receive these crowns of glory. Yes, we will cast them at the feet of Jesus. Yes, they will be the most ultimate and the most supreme act of worship in all of our existence. Yes, all of that is true. But when it comes to the crown of rejoicing, you know what Paul says is his crown? People. The people he has led to the Lord. The people he has invested in. The people he has discipled. And may I propose to you that if preaching Christ will get this right, if our church will go forward in truly getting this right, let me tell you, just like the Apostle Paul, we will be able one day to stand before the very presence of God and our hearts will burst with pride, not an arrogant pride, a a, a a parental, a fatherly, a motherly pride in the people that you and I have invested and given our lives to. See, the fact is, church, I don't care whether we're in this building or if we build a more beautiful building on this new property. It doesn't matter where the building is. Let me tell you, you and I will never take a building to heaven with us. You realize that? These chairs, oh, I love our chair. You like our chairs? Oh, I like our chairs. They are nice. If you don't know they're nice, you should have been here before we got them. And you'd be real thankful for them. These chairs are $85 per chair. That's a big investment. But we'll never take a one of them to heaven. This carpet will never go to heaven. This platform, all these, they tell me there's a big screen behind me. None of this will ever go to heaven with us. The only thing that is eternal, the only thing that has eternal value are the souls of men and women. And Paul says, that's my glory, that's my joy. If we ever get anything right, church, let's get this right. The church is commanded to do two things. 
The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The church is commanded to go preach the gospel, Mark 16. The church is commanded to go forth and preach the gospel everywhere. And I believe we do that. Do you? I do believe we get that right. Caleb and I did a fantastic event in Pakistan through our technology yesterday. 20,000 people gathered to hear the gospel. And I shared the message and Caleb shared the altar call and it was a tag team. And it was great. We're getting ready to go to Maple Oaks. And let me tell you, we're going to walk into Maple Oaks like an army of the Lord. And revival fire is going to fall over that property. Jesus said, go into the highways and in the byways and compel them to come in. We do this. Last year, our sermons had 218,000 sermon streams online just last year alone. We are trumpeting the gospel. Evangelism matters. Preaching the gospel matters. Heralding the gospel matters. But that's only part of what Jesus told us to do. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, baptize them. Make disciples out of them. Teach them to do, to observe all that I command. Friends, I, I want to talk to you today in this, in this message about the soul winner's crown, about this crown of rejoicing. That it's not just salvation that's part of it. It's not just evangelism that's part of it. It is discipleship. And if any reason that the church of Jesus Christ in our generation is anemic, it is because of the lack of discipleship. We do well in preaching the gospel. We fail at discipling people. And there's many of you listening today. You're in the building or you're watching online. And many of you, yes, you have experienced the gospel. You've experienced salvation. You've, you've responded to the evangelism, but you stopped short there. You were never discipled. You never took the next steps. I want to show you today how we can do that. I want to show you today how God expects us to not only be discipled, but to make disciples. I want to show you how the goal of Christianity is that one day we stand shoulder to shoulder with people that we invested our lives in and we presented them mature in Jesus. I want to show you how your eternity is going to be far more glorious. It's going to be far more rewarding. It's going to be far more greater if you invest in people and you disciple people. The gospel is not about your four and no more. The gospel is not about your household only. The gospel is not about building an ark for your household. No. The gospel is about giving your lives to others. And I'm going to show you right here in the text how Paul did that and how he models it for us. Discipleship is a major issue for the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet it's where we fail the most. I believe that as the Lord examines us as a church, He's not examining our budget. He's not examining our programs. He's not examining our seating capacity. 
I don't believe for a second that the Lord has ever walked through this auditorium and thought, boy, their media screens, they just get better and better. Huh. Look at those lights. That is so good. Look at the quality of their videos. Oh, goodness. That church is really doing well. No, that's not how the Lord measures us. Do you know how the Lord measures us? Disciple making. And it's what we must excel at. Have you ever truly been discipled? Let me ask it this way. Are you right now observing the teachings of Jesus? See, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Disciple means a follower. Are you following your own way? Are you following the path that you want to go down? Or are you following Jesus? Where does your life stand today? Are you leading your family, dads, fathers? Are you leading your family down the path of God? Or are you leading them down your path that's comfortable for you? Moms, are you teaching your children the ways of God? Are you the strongest influence in their life? Are you the greatest voice in their life for the Lord Jesus? Or are you allowing this culture to lead it down its path? Are we disciples of Jesus? And let me tell you, discipleship matters nowhere more important than in our homes. So let's explore this. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's someone who observes his commands. See, in the church, I view the church this way. I view it as our initial work, our hard work, and then the greater work. And we're to be engaged in all three levels. Do you know what the initial work is? It's to present the gospel. The initial work is to cast our nets. The initial work is to make sure that people hear the gospel of Jesus and that it's clear to them. See, Paul said it this way in Colossians 1.29, talking about fulfilling the Great Commission. He said, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Jesus. You know what that warning everyone and teaching everyone represents? That is the beautiful blend of evangelism and discipleship. And let me tell you what happens when the church is able to intertwine the two. See, churches, often, they're good at one over the other. Either we're going to be great at preaching the gospel or either we're going to be great at maturing people in Jesus. It shouldn't be one over the other. It should be both. And when we get it right and we make this beautiful blend, we intertwine Warning everyone evangelism, teaching everyone discipleship. And when that is intertwined, you know what happens? Spiritual maturity happens. And that's the goal of Christianity, to grow to the full measure of the stature of Jesus, Ephesians chapter 4, to be equipped for the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4, each of us. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. I want you to note this. Every single believer, if you are born again today, if you belong to Jesus, every believer is called to be a disciple. See, some of you struggle because you don't know what God wants you to do. And you've not quite put your finger on what God wants you to be doing. Start here. Be a disciple. 
Say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I have decided no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. I am going to follow Jesus. Some of you have never been baptized. That would be a great next step for you to make a public confession right there in that baptistry that I am a disciple. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus. Some of you allow sin to grow rampant in your life. You're like a a garden that's overgrown with all of these weeds of sin. You need to say, no, I'm a disciple. I'm not going to allow sin to reign in my life. I'm going to remove it in Jesus' name. And if you would make the decision, I am going to follow Jesus, not one foot in and one foot out, not halfway. No, I am all in. Amen. Amen. What does it mean to be a disciple? We must pick up our cross and follow Jesus daily. Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Number two, I want you to write this down. Not only is every believer called by God, To be a disciple, every believer is expected to make disciples. Everyone. That's not a pastor's responsibility. That's not the church staff's responsibility. That's not deacon's responsibility, elders' responsibility. That is your responsibility as a believer. Say, Chad, how do I do that? Well, see, you can't give somebody what you don't have. If you are a Christian today that you've stopped short at salvation, friends, precious people, I want to tell you with a pastoral heart, salvation's not the ending. It is just the beginning. Amen. It's not the finish line. It's the shot of the gun. Now you can run this race. And one day, when you breathe your last, and you transition from this life into eternity, that's the finish line. Not now. Right now, you're called to run this race. And this is a race every one of us can win, as we saw in the first of this session, of of this series. So, are you a disciple? Answer that first. Am I following Jesus? If not, begin. I'm not saying, do you go to church? That's not the qualifier. I'm not saying, are you religious? That's not the qualifier. I'm not saying, did you grow up in a Christian home? That's not the qualifier. People can grow up in a Christian home. They can consider themselves religious, and they can come to church every single time the doors are open, and that does not mean they're following Jesus. Then how do you know, Chad, if you're following Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Do you do what Jesus said? Don't be hearers of the word only, but be what? Doers. Makes sense to everyone. Once you're able to say, yes, I am a disciple. I follow Jesus Christ. I don't march to the beat of my own drum. I don't march to the beat of the drum of this society or this godless culture. I march to the beat of Jesus. Okay? Then the next step is, you are to be making disciples. Well, what's that look like? That means that You pour your life into others. That means that you may work with someone who you're building a friendship with them. And maybe you guys eat lunch together from time to time or you drink coffee together or perhaps they're sharing with you 
struggles that's in their life or things they're trying to figure out. And that's where you begin to introduce them to Jesus. That's where you begin to introduce them to prayer and things like that. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, I'm not responsible to fill anyone's cup, but I am responsible to pour mine out. If you will make a commitment to pour your life into others, God will bring person after person by your way, by your path, many different ways, many different walks of life, various seasons of life, but he will bring people to you that you can pour into. I promise you that. And if you'll have it on your radar, Jesus, I want to make disciples. Jesus, I want to love people. I want to help people. I want to give people what you've given me. I want to give them uh, assurance. I want to give them help. I want to give them hope. I'm telling you, God will orchestrate and God will arrange for you to disciple many people. The church, if we're going to get anything right, it has to be discipleship. We have to get it right. So Paul is going to show us his work. Look at verse 1 with me. Now, what did we say? There is the initial work. That's to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then there's the hard work. What's the hard work? The hard work is to make disciples. The hard work is not necessarily to see someone come to Jesus. It's to grow their faith after that. It's to invest in them daily after that. Right? But then there's the greater work. And what's the greater work? The greater work is what every person listening to my voice who's born again, you should be engaged in. You know what the greater work is? It's prayer. I want you to hear this. Prayer does not get us ready for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And the more we pray, the more people are going to come to Jesus and the better we're going to be able to disciple them. We're the branch, but he's the vine. And it all comes through prayer. Now, when it comes to Paul's work, I want you to look at it, verse 1. Paul says, my work among you, my coming to you, was not in vain. Or in other words, it was not ineffective is a good translation for that. Paul's saying, I didn't waste my time with you. You're my disciples, is what he's saying. I'm pouring my life into you. Over this chapter 2, I want to highlight just a couple of things for you here that we're going to see in the text. And I want you to take notes if you're a note taker because I want to show you what it takes for you to become a disciple maker. If you've not been currently discipled, you need to make that decision today. You need to make that commitment. I want you to come to me and say, Chad, I've decided... I'm going to become a disciple. I want you to come to Sadie. My wife Sadie is as passionate as any person I know about disciple making. Why? She was never discipled. And then as an adult, here she is. She was baptized as a kid, grew up around church as a kid, but never discipled. And then she becomes an adult and she gets serious with God. She hits the jackpot by marrying me. Well, that's a one-sided opinion. But. 
But she gets serious about God and realizes, I need to be baptized. Not as a child. I need to be baptized as an adult that's following Jesus. And now she's went from not being discipled to making the effort and making the commitment to become a disciple that now what is she doing? Discipling many others. See, that's the model. That's what Jesus intends for every one of us. And imagine if that was happening. I have no idea how many is here today, but you look around this room. If every one of us was on that track, if every one of us was walking that path, that biblical model path, I am going to pour my life into others. What impact this city would feel. God never told us, Impact your city with events. Didn't say to do that. Impact your city with your music. Didn't say that. Impact your city with your sermon series. Didn't say that. You got to pour yourself into others. That's where the impact comes. So watch this. If you're going to become a disciple maker, three ingredients. Look, look what Paul says. In verses 3 to six, I want you to note this, and I'm not going to spend much time on these, so we'll, we'll move quickly. Paul says, God knew his motives. If you're going to be a disciple maker, number one, you must have the right motives. Paul said, I didn't come to you out of deceit. I didn't come to you with flattering words. I didn't come to you uh, seeking your approval. He said, I didn't come to you masked with greed or a pretext for greed. It means masking. Paul says, I was genuine with you. You saw my motive. I came because I loved you. Friends, if you're going to impact people for Jesus Christ, let me be crystal clear. Your motive has to be genuine. It has to be right. I remember when I was only 15 years old, I shared a bit of this story last Sunday, but I was 15 and I laid out of school that day to go hear Jim Cimbala preach. He had come to the newly built Meadowview. And I was so excited because I love Pastor Jim Cimbala. He's 80, I think 81 years old now. And I was only 15. And I remember listening to him that day and I remember it so vividly, and I'll never forget what he said as long as I live. He said, pastors, you can love to preach, but do you love the people you're preaching to? That's the question. I think the same question for our church. Listen, we can pack this building out. We can build another building and pack it out, but the question is not that. The question is, do we love the people that God is sending here? Do we shepherd people? Do we care for each other? Do we honor one another? Do we carry one another's burdens? Do we encourage one another? Are we involved in one another's lives? We don't just want to do church together. We want to do life together. We're not a crowd. We're a congregation. We're not a room full of people. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do we know each other? Do we pray for one another? Do we support each other? Do we affirm each other? Do we uphold each other? When someone feels down and someone is being beat up by the enemy, do we come to the rescue in Jesus' name? 
My mom told me a story this week about a woman early in her faith that she offended and didn't know it. She told me a story about a woman who uh, had come to her church, and she was a new Christian. I think this was even before I was born, and she didn't come to faith until her early 20s, and she walked by a woman in the Sunday school department and didn't speak to her. And this woman goes to the pastor and says, Shirley Roberts offended me, and I won't be back here because of that. <laughs> well, the pastor sets my mom down and says, you know, sister, I'm sorry, you, you don't know this, but you offended her. Would you mind to apologize to her? Sometimes we have to do that with sheep. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I know, I know. Sheep hurt other sheep. So mom went to her, sat down with her, apologized to her, didn't realize it. And mom told her, here's what's going on in my life. She was fighting hell at that season of her life. She barely made it into the building. You don't know who you're sitting beside today. And you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know who passed you in the lobby. You don't know who you brushed by in the hallway that you have no idea the hell that they're fighting right now. Are we such a family? Are we such disciple makers that we don't come here for my needs? We don't come here because I need to get something out of it. No, I come to give. Sadie and I went to breakfast this morning at Bob Evans. Have you ever had the honey chicken biscuit at Bob Evans? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Manna from heaven. And I was sitting there enjoying my honey chicken biscuit. Hallelujah. <laughs> and the thought came to my mind, if they ever get rid of this, I will never step foot in this place again. <laughs> and then I began to think about the church world. How many times we say, well, if they, if they don't change the music or if they, don't, if they don't do what I like, if that preacher says that again, if he preaches on that, if, if, if this isn't to, then I'll quit. Do you know why if Bob Evans gets rid of their chicken biscuits, their honey, hallelujah, their honey chicken biscuits, do you know why I would quit on Bob Evans? Because I'm a consumer, not a contributor. I walk into Bob Evans for only one reason. They're honey chicken biscuits. Hallelujah. <laughs> and if they ever remove what I like, I'm not interested in them. Are you that way with the church? Are you a consumer? Or are you a contributor, a disciple maker?
Can we say amen today? We must have the right motives. Paul wasn't about deceit. He wasn't about greed. He wasn't about flattering words. He didn't seek their approval. He had the right motives. Number two, you have to be willing to make sacrifices. If you're going to be a disciple maker, you've got to be willing to make sacrifices. Watch what Paul says. He, he, he does that in verses 3 to 6, but verses 7 to 11, look what he says. Paul says, I was gentle among you. Like an affectionate mother, like a nurturing mother. I want you to look at verse 8. This is amazing. He says, I not only gave to you, I not only was willing and eager to give you the gospel, I gave you myself. Isn't that a mother? A mother doesn't just check all the boxes. A mother gives her very life to her family, right? Do you see what Paul is saying? I'm not, he says, like a mother, I'm affectionate toward you. I'm nurturing toward you. I'm willing to give you all of me, all my time, all my attention, all my affections. I'm willing to give sacrificially of you. And like a father, verse 11, I instruct you. I want to, I'm proud of you. I want to see you succeed. I want to give you every advantage. I want to give you everything. Oh, can you hear the tenderness in the Apostle Paul for these people? Do you have that for others? Not only do we have to have the right motives, we have to be self-sacrificing. You will not disciple people at an arm's length. You won't. You got to bring them in. You got to embrace them got to embrace their lives. You got to embrace their junk. You got to embrace their, their uh, failures and their hardships and their disappointments. And No, just like when our children disappoint us, just like when our children, whatever, fill in the blank there, we love them and we don't hold them at an arm's length. That's what we're expected to do with people. Number three, Now listen, as we look at this new property and the Lord brings us through this great transition, we better have our motives right at this church. And if our chief motive is to glorify God by making disciples, then may God send us to that property and may may he do everything that glorifies him. But if our motives are wrong, may God stop us in our tracks. It's not part of it. It's everything. And we have to get it right. Lastly, verse number 18, I think. You with me still? What time is it? I don't even know what time it is. Oh, 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 oh. 4.30. I better, I better not eat. A honey chick, hallelujah, a honey chicken biscuit again before I preach. Oh, Lord Jesus. Y'all will be saying, Lord, help Pastor Chad fast before he preaches. 11, okay, thank you. <laughs> Look at verse 18. 
You ever feel like Satan is against you? You ever feel like he opposes you? Ever feel like he hinders you? Well, guess what? He did Paul. Paul says in verse 18, I wanted to come to you. I, Paul, I wanted to be with you. He's affectionate for them. He's nurturing to them. He's instructing them like a wise father. He loves these people with all of his heart. And he says, I want to be with you. But what happened? Satan hindered me. He prevented me. Do you know what that word means in the Greek? It's a stunning word. It is an unbelievable word. It's actually a military term. And in these ancient times, in Paul's day, what a military would do as they were preparing for war, they would mess up the roads. They would dig deep trenches throughout the roads to where they couldn't travel through them. If they knew that an army was about to advance, they would dig massive trenches to prevent their movement. Can you see the wisdom of what Paul is saying here? I wanted to come to you. My aim is to be with you. But Satan, in a military way, he was trying to prevent the work of God. He was trying to hinder the work of God. He was trying to stop the movement of God's kingdom. Let me tell you what's happening in your life, the opposition that you're facing. It's not coincidence. It's not by happening stance. Satan is trying to stop your spiritual progress. That means you're on the right track. That means God's moving in your life. Be encouraged because he's trying to stop what God wants to do in you and in your family. That means you ought to double down. That means you ought to say, Satan can throw everything at me, including the kitchen sink, but he's not going to prevail. He's not going to win. He may make it harder. I may have to go through some trenches. I may have to go the long way around. I may have to have more patience. I may have to work harder, but I'm not going to stop in what God has called me. Amen. Satan tried to prevent him. He tried to hinder him. Why? Because he wanted to stop the movement. Don't let him stop you. He'll try things. Some of you, I know it, I know it by the Holy Spirit. Some of you, every time you get serious with God, a block comes. Every time you say, I'm going to get into church, all hell breaks loose. Every time you commit to the word of God, everything falls apart. And your schedule gets crazy and your marriage gets in conflict and other family member brings up all this mess and work problems and money problems and health problems. What do you think's going on? Satan's blocking the path. He's digging a trench. Don't let it stop you. Amen. Amen. Have a resolve about you. Say, Chad, how do I do it then? Give me five more minutes and let me show you. So here's what Paul had a remarkable ability with. Yes, Satan hindered. Yes, he opposed. Yes, he prevented. Yes, he attacked. If you're going to disciple people, you have to have the right motives, verses 3 through 6. You have to be self-sacrificing, verses 7 through 11. But you have to expect spiritual war. Don't be shocked at what Satan throws in your path. Verse 18. So how did Paul overcome it? Here's what Paul always had the ability to do. 
Paul always looked forward. So what does he do? Hey, Satan's prevented me. Satan's opposing me. Satan's hindering me. For what is my crown? What is my hope? What is my joy? What is my crown of rejoicing or boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You know what Paul did? He looked beyond the present circumstances. He looked beyond the prevention of Satan. He looked beyond the hindrances of Satan. And he looked ahead to what eternity held. Do you have the same ability? Do you live for now or do you live for later? Do you live for the transient or do you live for the eternal? Do you live for your comfort now or do you sacrifice for your enjoyment in heaven? The difference is probably have you truly been discipled? And the greater difference is will you make disciples? That doesn't mean you have the answer to every question. That doesn't mean that you can quote scripture with the best of them. That doesn't mean that you have your life all together. That don't mean that you don't have many, 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 many struggles. You know what it simply means? It means that you take your cup that God has given you and you pour it into others. That's what it means to make disciples. It means that you get involved in people's lives to pray for them, to encourage them, to support them, to affirm them, to uphold them. And it means that you, as you walk your path with Jesus... You lock arms and you bring others with you. That's what it means to make disciples. Are you doing it? Have you had it happen to you? You can't give someone what you don't have. If you've never been discipled, I want you right now to make the commitment. I want you to pray right now and I want you to say, Jesus, I'm moving beyond salvation what Hebrews calls the elementary principles. I'm moving beyond salvation to discipleship. I want you to pray that right now. You may have been saved a short while. You may have been saved for decades, but no one ever discipled you. I'm sorry for that. But now it's time to go forward. You may be a Bob Evans customer here this morning. You may be here for the honey chicken biscuit of worship or the honey chicken biscuit of my sermons. But you're not really in it. You're not really all in. You're here for the menu. And if the menu ever changes, you're gone. check a lot of great boxes. Some of you you're faithful to pray. Thank you. Some of you, you're faithful to attend. I'm glad. Praise God. Some of you are tithers. 
when I say contributor, you, you, you go straight to the checkbook and you're, and you're a giver and you're a contributor. But, and I appreciate that, but are you a disciple maker? Don't miss the most important part. Some of us, we live very busy lives. Some of us have more responsibilities at work than we can handle. Some of us have growing families. Some of us have a lot of pressure, and I understand. But that does not excuse us for being self-consumed. Some of you don't have much responsibility. And right now, quite frankly, you're bored out of your head. Do you know why you're bored out of your head? Because you're self-consumed. Become a spiritual contributor. And you won't be bored anymore. I promise you that. Get engaged in God's work. Do the initial work, the hard work, and get in the greater work. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.